This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, one day you're an individual contributor. You're doing the work, you're getting things done, you're moving and grooving. The next day you get promoted or maybe you change jobs. And now you're a manager. Now you're in a totally different profession. And the logical question that you probably have is, uh, <laughs> what do I do? Where's the manual? And so Katie, we've both had experiences of this making this transition from individual contributor to management and vice versa moving from management back to being an individual contributor a why isn't there a manual or if there is why isn't it given to us when we make that move because it, management really is a different profession it is i remember um when i was early on in my career and i made that move the first time i went from being a project assistant to a project manager and on my first day as a project manager i sat down in my boss's office like i always had with my notebook ready like what are we doing today and she was like what are you doing and i was like i'm going to talk about what we're doing today she's like "Uh uh-uh no you're the manager now you have to figure out what the day looks like i don't tell you anymore and it sounds harsh and obviously she didn't just like leave me high and dry but she was right i was no longer in a position where i was the one being told here is what your day looks like here are the things we're doing i had to start to change the way that i was thinking about it and approaching it and be the one who was then setting the course for the day and it was a hard shift to make because i was still sort of i was still reliant on someone telling me what i should be doing and what my priorities were and now I was the person making those decisions. And I was going to get it wrong a lot of the time when I was brand new to it. And that was a hard transition because generally the reason you get promoted is because you're doing so amazing at the job you're in. A company wants to move you up to that next step. So you go from being this outstanding A plus player to someone who's just starting over again and going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's a hard humbling thing to do and so at least in my experience the reason there is not a manual is because it looks different for every company the term manager and i'm putting this in air quotes for people who aren't watching us on video means something different to every organization a manager could be someone who's managing all of the customer accounts or all of the client accounts a manager could be someone who has all of the direct reports underneath them and is managing the personnel. A manager could be somebody who's doing both. And so there are general management training courses, but ultimately it comes down to what the needs are of that specific company. And that's really hard to pin down because even Chris, you remember on our um, old teams, we had managers and it looked different uh, even within our own little team and then across the agency as a whole the term manager really meant something different depending on who you were talking to. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, that's that's certainly one way of putting it. Uh, I remember when I first got into a management position was at the the nonprofit I worked at immediately after graduate school. And that was just face first into the deep end and with very different kinds of employees too because a lot of the employees who work there were also former customers of the nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit was a mental health organization and so that was probably not the best starting point for a new manager was working with people who not only 
did I have to learn how to manage, but also with people, employees who had, you know, declared special needs. And I can say with 100% confidence, I did a horrible job at it um, <laughs> and, and continued to do so for most of my career because what I had learned, particularly from my parents, my, uh, my father's career in military for a while, um, does not translate into the modern world. Like my dad grew up in AT&T's culture after the military and AT&T's culture was exactly the same, command and control. So your your boss says this, so you do that. You, you say you pass that down. You know the the expression that my dad always used was the shit rolls downhill, and <laughs> and that was fine in the seventies and the eighties, um, but not so much once you start getting into into the modern era. And so there was no manual, and I I had to rely on only what I knew, and what I knew was outdated. I remember um, being at the organization that you and I both used to work at. And one of our, you know, so they have this, what they call the pecking order. And so you have the coordinators and the analysts and the managers. And there's, you know, depending on who you're talking to, there's this like, depending on your level, you can only talk to a certain person. And I remember that one of our marketing coordinators had a question that one of the VPs on a different team had the answer for. So I, as the manager, said, okay, marketing coordinator, go ask the VP because they'll be able to answer your question. And then I got called into the VP's office saying, why did you send a marketing coordinator into my office? And I was like, because she had a question. He's like, I don't talk to marketing coordinators. I only talk, and I was like, okay, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> and so it's it was an interesting eye-opening experience to on the one hand, what was supposed to be an open door culture, but on the other hand, not everybody bought into it. And so, you know, the topic that we're talking about today is making that move from individual contributor to someone who's overseeing the individual contributors. And so it, I think one of the first lessons that I learned was that it's not about me anymore. I might hold the title of manager but if I'm doing my job right, I am the least important person on the team. My job is to remove blocks, to open the lines of communication, and to make sure everybody else is set up for success. If oh, if those things happen, then I'm doing my job correctly. It's no longer, you know, as I'm no longer an individual contributor, I'm not there to take the glory and take the credit. If anything, I should be taking the least amount of credit for holding up the team and allowing the team to do the work that they're showing up to do. It's like the, uh, what's the adage? The, uh, the conductor of the orchestra doesn't make a sound, right? Is the, That's is, exactly is the, it. the thing. The first thing I learned when I started learning how to manage more effectively was that as an individual contributor, you only have relationship power to rely on. If you need to get something done and you don't have the authority to, to, to get it done, um, you have to build relationships with the people around you to essentially encourage them or to help them or to, to find some way to to motivate them to work with you rather than against you, particularly in very hierarchical organizations. And when you become a manager, you you have you transition to having role power, being able to say, as the manager, I can tell you to do this thing. But one of the mistakes that I made, probably the biggest mistake I, I made and have continued to make, uh, which is why I don't manage people, is role power being the default instead of relationship power still being your first choice because if you can if you can work with somebody and encourage them with relationship power you don't need to use role power 
It's true. And, you know, and so basically, Chris, Chris, the scenario that you're describing, and I think we've all sort of been on both sides of this thing is if you're working with your team or whoever, and you say, go do that thing. If they start to question, you know, it's very easy to get frustrated and be like, no, I told you to go do the thing. Don't question me, just go do it. And as we know from working with other people, that generally doesn't go over very well. It's something that I talked about extensively in one of the change management workshops I gave recently is that, sure, you can demand and dictate, you know, your orders onto people. But number one, this isn't the military. This is, you know, marketing and tech and, you know, communications, and it doesn't go over very well. Now, the, the not going over very well aside to your point, Chris, you have to use that relationship power and figure out what motivates your team, what motivates other people to want to be successful. And, you know, I remember coming into, you know, your team when you hired me on, and there was a lot of role and relationship power knots, I guess, to untangle, because it wasn't very clear. And it was it was the reason you brought me on, because it wasn't best suited to your skill set. And I think that that's sort of the second lesson is that not everybody should be a manager. It's not everybody's skill set. Just like I'm not really suited to be a data scientist because it's not my skill set, you're not suited to be a manager. It's not your skill set. That doesn't mean that you're not an effective employee or an effective founder. It just means that we need to do a better job of understanding our strengths and our deficits. And I think that that's hard for some people, especially in an organization where the only path forward is to become a manager. Um, one of my really good friends, her husband wanted nothing to do with being a manager. He was happy being an engineer. He was happy being an uh, individual contributor. But the they kept pushing him into a manager role. And he was like, I don't want to do it. It's not my personality. I don't want to manage people. Like, I don't want to do it. And they kept pushing him. And finally, he was pushed into this manager role. And he immediately fell flat on his face because he said, I don't want to do it. It's not my skill set. I just want to write code all day. And so I think that that's sort of the third piece is you can't just push someone into a management role. It's not a rip and replace. You can't just stick someone in that role and expect the same results. The way that I manage versus the way that you manage, Chris, is very different. And we get very different results. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's an important distinction to make, though, because you're right. A lot of organizations, the default is to move someone into a management position uh, on the premise, I'm guessing, uh, it, that. If you were good at the thing, you can grow a crop of people who are good at the thing and effectively help the organization scale. But that's not necessarily true, nor is it necessarily something that you have to do, right? Because if you have good process management, then you can take the procedures and processes that a, a high performer has and give that to people without making the high performer have to necessarily teach to somebody as long as your documentation is good. And I think it's a really important distinction to be able to say to somebody, if the company's culture is flexible enough, which, you know, being founders of the organization, we get to say that now, um, mm -hmm. you can be a thought leader without being a people leader, right? Mm -hmm. They are separate things and you don't have to be both to be a leader in some fashion. But I think that gets lost in general industry and corporations. The assumption is you're going to be a leader. You have to do all the leadership things instead of saying, no, you can be 
you know, the, the, the mad scientist. And you don't have to manage anybody because you're not good at it. That also requires an astonishing amount of self-awareness at an organizational level. It does. And, you know, I've seen a lot of really bad managers. And when we say the term bad manager, I would say it's probably 50% the fault of the organization for putting that person in the position and 50% the fault of the person in the position for not saying, hey, this is probably not the best fit. And to your point, there's a lot of self-awareness that has to come from that. And it's, it's hard for someone to say, this is not what I'm good at, because we kind of all want to be leaders in some way, shape or form. Like, even if we say, no, I'm happy never taking the spotlight, you still want to have your voice heard. And sometimes in an organization, the only way for that to happen is if you hold the title of manager. And so a lot of companies fall down on that professional development in terms of what does it mean to be a manager, not just in the world, but in this organization specifically. So there's a lot of emphasis on the hard skills, like this is when you do a review, this is when you make sure that somebody's getting their work done, you know, but the soft skills are, they're teachable, but they're harder to teach because everybody approaches it differently. Not everybody is the same level of empathetic. Not everybody is the same level of active listener. And so that's really challenging. The other part of that is as a manager, there's a lot of letting go that you have to do in terms of, well, this is how I've always done it. So my expectation is you are also going to do exactly the way that I did it because I wrote it down exactly. And if you're not doing it exactly the way that I've asked you to do it, you as the subordinate are the failure, not me as the manager for being inflexible. That's probably the area where I had the hardest time in management was to, to hand off something and then watch somebody else do it less well and not improve or not improve substantially enough. If they did it 60% as well as I did, and they got to like 64% as well as I did, it's still like, that's not how I would do that. And it's one of those things that, you know, you and I have flagged as being potentially problematic down the road for, for trust insights is to be able to mm -hmm. say like, yeah, when we do grow, because the, the ambition is to grow at mm -hmm. some point, we'll have to work out processes for, when somebody else is, is taking on some of the data science work because there will be point, times where I'm going to be like, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> so let me ask you this question, Chris. So let's say in that scenario, you handed off somebody to someone and said, okay, complete this task. And they hand it back to you and they didn't do it the way that you would have done it. Is your first inclination to say, okay, I'll just do it myself because I'll have it done the way that I want to. Or do you take the time to say, let me show you where you've, you know, gone awry or gone off script? Like, I'm sort of leading you into the answer I want you to give, but I want to hear the honest truth. It depends. Uh, That's the answer. It depends on two things. One, is it a task that I enjoy doing? If it's not, I don't, I will say you do it the way you want to. I never want to see it again. I don't care if it's correct or not, because I hate doing that thing. Right. That's part one. And part two, being perfectly honest, it depends on whether I like the person or not. If I don't like the person, like I'm not going to invest time and energy into trying to coach them and help them grow. I, um, you know, again, going back to teams we worked with in the past, there are people who I had a good personal relationship with. They're like, okay, I'm going to try and help this person grow. There are other people like, wow, this person just generally annoys me. And if I could show them out the door, I would. And mm -hmm. so 
it's a combination. I guess if you had a two by two matrix, do I like the person or do I not like the person? <laughs> Is the task something I like to do or I don't like to do? And, you know, just fill in the matrix. Um, that's how I have typically functioned. Now, obviously, we are in a situation now where we don't inherit people that, you know, from another team or something like that. We get a choice as to who we hire. So presumably we're not going to hire somebody who's just unlikable, I would hope. Um, and so that the would mostly fall to, is that a task that I actually care about or not? If it's like, I needed to produce, you know, this report, um, you know, it, it's also tricky because a lot of what I do now is very binary outcomes, right? Either the code ran or it didn't run. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of, change that can happen along with this change that can happen in the interpretation of the results but the task of pushing the button that that's there's a pretty binary outcome so i would say it, it really depends on now on whether it's something that i'm invested in heavily in or not i think that that is a fantastically honest answer and i appreciate that because what it illustrates is why you are so good at in the role that you're in and why if we brought other people on, then there would need to be some protocols put in place for you to be able to manage that person effectively, but also set expectations. So it's not an impossible task to say, oh, Chris, now you have direct reports, but knowing what I know about the way that you operate and you being a founder, I can work with that. I can cater to your strengths and the areas that you have for improvement to say, how do we have someone report to you and set them up for success? But then also make sure there's a constant feedback loop because I'll be honest, you're not going to like everybody. You like very few people, you know, and so that is probably going to be the more challenging thing. We can find people who have the right skill set, but you can't be best friends with everybody. And I think that's that sort of maybe the fourth, if I'm on like the fourth thing now, you know, you're not going to, you know, be best friends with everyone on your team. And that's okay. Because again, being a manager is not about you. And I think that that's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their heads around is at the end of the day, it's not about you. Your job is not to, you know, be best friends with everybody and, you know, go get coffee with everybody. And, you know, it's your job is to make these people succeed. You need to remove your personal feelings out of it. Now, with the caveat of like, if someone's really just an asshole, that's a whole different like thing that you need to address. You need to figure out what's going on, why they don't get along with the rest of the team, why you don't get along with them. But as the manager, your job is to confront that in a way that you can decide is this person a good culture fit or a bad culture fit? Or are they, do they just have a personality that people clash with, but they do good work and they can continue to thrive within the team? You know, and obviously and there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there, but I think that that hits on uh, something that I forget who said it, but I thought it was a really apt analogy. You know, uh, it was a post on LinkedIn saying, you know, please stop calling your companies, you know, you know your family, because you can't fire family members. It's a team. It's like a sports team. You can absolutely change the manager. You can change the, you know, the the pitcher or the catcher, whoever. And everybody understands that those roles change, those players change over time. The team is what stays the same. And you know, you either win or lose. And when it comes to when I think back about the people that I've worked best with, it does it's it's yes, liking is part of it. Do I, you know, do I get along with this person? Sure. But more important, 
at least for me, is do I respect this person or not? Do mm -hmm. I see that they're putting in effort, that they're trying, that they're self-motivated, things that I value um, selfishly in myself? Um, and if I don't respect that person, I have a much harder time working with them. I can understand that. And, you know, to be completely honest, I've had team members, you know, in various jobs that I've really, really liked and got along with well, but they weren't great fits. And so that's mm -hmm. in some ways an even harder scenario because you really like the person, you get along well with them, you respect them, but they're just not a great team member. They can't keep up or the work isn't suited to their skill set. And that's, a, I don't, in my opinion, that's harder because then you have formed that relationship with the person and you have to still tell them, but you're not a great fit. You have to go because I have to put my feelings aside for the outcome of the business as a whole. Um, you know, and so it's definitely, you know, a tough scenario either way. I think there's, you know, to the comment about respect, there's two sides to that. One, you need to feel like you can respect the team that you are overseeing and responsible for, but you yourself have to earn the respect of those team members in order to get anywhere with them. And so I guess that's sort of the fifth thing. I've sort of, I've lost track of the number that I'm on. So let's call this <laughs> E. Um, and so, you know, if you're trying to make headway with them, if you're trying to demonstrate your authority, the title alone does not give you authority to do anything except on paper. Because, you know, yeah, I'm the CEO of the company. And if I start barking orders at you and John and saying, let's do this, we're going to do this because I said so, like, you guys won't respect me. You'll be like, who's this chick thing she is? I'm just going to go do my thing anyway. Because what's she going to do? Fire me? I'm a founder. Like, it's, you can't just demand respect of your team. You have to earn it. You have to show them why you are worthy of them trusting you with their, you know, jobs and, you know, setting them up for success. You have to lead by example and show them that if they respect you and if they listen, here's the benefit to them. Because again, it comes back to, it's not about you. It's about everybody else. Exactly. And there are no shortage of companies that, uh, that, can easily demonstrate what happens when when that falls apart when uh particularly you know people abuse relationship power you know one of my uh favorite gaming companies blizzard entertainment is currently in the midst of a massive um i guess chaotic uh, time where the state of california has sued the company for discrimination mm -hmm. um and all sorts of stuff has come out but it fundamentally boils down to People who were managers, people who were in management positions who should not have been, right? Um, they technically should not have been employed, period, because you know things like sexual harassment in the workplace are never acceptable. Um, no. But they should not have been managers for sure. They probably should not have worked for the company. And now the company is having to is massive, you know, um, reckoning, if you will, and and the the fate of the company itself is in question because what will it take for this company to right the ship? And when we think about, you know, the the core question of, uh, you know, making that transition from individual contributor to manager, none of this stuff is explained. None of this stuff no. is said. Here are the consequences of good and bad management. I, we've all had bad managers. Mm -hmm. uh, we've all had good managers, hopefully. Um, but 
on day one, when you sit down at your desk and your new manager, none of this, it, you, there's no context. There's no understanding of what the big picture is. And I think that's probably F, number six. <laughs> 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 if a person doesn't understand the role and context of being a manager in the organization and what that means in an organization, it's very hard for them to do a good a good job. It's like anything. If you don't know what the goal is or why you're working towards it, mm-hmm. you, you do it because you have to because it's part of your job, but you won't do it as well as if you understand. It's like um, if you can imagine painting by numbers, but you can't see the final thing. You can only apply colors to pieces and it fit. Like you won't understand what it is that you're doing. You just know that you've got the you know, color per- number six purple on this on this thing, and that's all you see. You have to have a lot of faith, and that's hard. You know, without getting into a different topic, that's hard for people to have when they don't know what the final outcome is, and that's absolutely where a lot of companies fail their managers. And so. You as a manager, your measures of success look very different from your analyst's measure of success. And so an analyst, you know, maybe it's, you know, low error rate with their analysis. Maybe it's, you know, delivery time. Maybe it's, you know, efficiencies and those kinds of things. You as a manager, those are not your measures of success. They are by extension, but directly like making sure that your you don't lose customers or clients, making sure that you know your team doesn't suddenly have rapid turnover. I used to work with uh, someone who was a peer to me, another manager, and their default, instead of trying to work with someone who maybe they thought, you know, questioned too many things or didn't do things exactly the way that they thought they should, was to put them on a performance plan. And I literally have never seen so many performance plans handed out in one single team and it just it was mind-boggling because that was this manager's default go-to of you know don't question me or else you're going to go on a performance plan so this person led by fear and intimidation even though to look at this person there was nothing fearful or intimidating about them uh they were just kind of goofy but they didn't know how to properly manage through conflict through you know differences of opinion through people saying well why are you asking me to do it this way? And so, you know, that's how a lot of companies fail these managers by not setting them up for success to teach them how to literally manage through these different scenarios. And so, Chris, I want to, as we're sort of, you know, winding down the conversation, I want to ask you, so you've obviously had some really bad managers and some really good managers. Can you give me sort of just at a high level, broad strokes, like some qualities of bad managers that you've had and some qualities of good managers that you've had? Bad managers are folks who don't understand what it is that I do, but attempt to dictate how I do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, if you don't know how to make a souffle, but you're constantly telling me, oh, you did the eggs wrong. Well, how would you know? (laughs) You can't cook, (laughs) you know? Um, Whereas a good manager is like, look, and they're honest. I don't know what you do. I have no idea how you do it. I don't need to. I need to see the outcomes that we're after, right? How you get to the outcomes, as long as legal and ethical, is is up to you. I'm, a, uh, as an individual contributor, I'm a very autonomous person. I just like to go off and do my thing and come back with the results and fix them a lot <laughs> as I learn more how to do things. Um, and so, 
for me, an effective manager is someone who holds me accountable for the results I generate, but doesn't try to influence the process if they don't understand it with the caveat that they are still available for me as a sounding board, as somebody who I can ask for this, like, hey, how would you approach this? Or I'm stuck. What do you think of? And even just that process of having a discussion with someone, you know, mm -hmm. is talking something out can often solve problems a lot of times. That, that's one of the reasons why you and I work so well together is because you don't necessarily understand, for example, like, should I use lasso regression, ridge regression, elastic regression here? But nope. you can, you can, <laughs> ask questions about the process and the outcome and oftentimes i'll be like oh well actually if i you know use xg boost here instead i and i model off of the error variables i'll fi that'll fix the problem um mm -hmm. so that's to me is what the difference between a bad manager and a good manager is for me is is someone who there's that accountability mm -hmm. and there's that openness and and coaching about the things that i'm not good at um without that assumption of <clears throat> you know what's going on but i will also raise my hand in the world of of analytics and data science there aren't a lot of people in management roles that i could even ask advice to like i have to ask advice to people who have like phds because because they know the technical stuff better than mm -hmm. i do and say like what did i do wrong and like wow that was really stupid uh <laughs> When I think back to earlier in my career, before I was doing a lot of data science and analytics, um, again, those the, the people who were really good at managing, the people that I enjoyed working for were the ones that helped provide structure and context, mm -hmm. but did not, I guess, for lack of a better word, micromanage. How about you? Um, well, I think, you know, if we're on point, you know, G, or whatever letter or number we're on, you bring up a really solid point of a good manager doesn't have to be an expert in everything. And so I've had very similar experience. Um, I've had managers who have tried to micromanage every single movement. And, you know, as much as I like to talk about, like, you know, it's not about you, it's, you know, there for the other team. I don't like being told what to do. Like, I really don't. I'm actually also very difficult to manage if you come at me with, I'm going to micromanage you, here's what you have to do, you have to do exactly this way. I, I would say pretty much any reasonable person doesn't respond well to that kind of management. Um, and rightly so, because it's not effective, it's not productive. And Chris, a lot of what you're describing is that trust building. And so the reason you and I work very well together is because I trust that you know what you're doing. You've demonstrated time and time again to me that you know what you're talking about. And if there's something problematic with what you're doing, you will find a solution for it. And if you can't, then you will raise your hand to say, I need some help or I need to look elsewhere or I just need someone to talk to about it. Like I have no reason to feel like I need to micromanage the work that you're doing because you've demonstrated as an individual contributor that you don't need that kind of handholding you're not new in your career um you know you're very self-sufficient and so as a manager my job is to stand back is to let you do your thing and only intervene if i'm seeing you know the timeline slipping away or other things not getting done that's my job my job is to just remind hey don't forget, we have these 20 other deliverables 
<laughs> and you've spent 18 hours on this thing that should have taken two hours. That's where I have the right to step in. And as managers, that should really be it. Obviously, you know, to your point, offer counsel. Um, you know, the bad managers that I've had are the people who abuse that role power. And so, well, you know, I'm the manager and I say you can't talk to your own clients because you don't hold a title that's worthy of talking to the clients. That's just one example, um, you know, or I know that you want to work on this thing over here, but I want you to work on this thing over here. And if I try to question it, no, you can't question it. And so there's the bad managers to me are the people who aren't even open to listening or even, you know, even if the answer is no, and I've been guilty of this as well, even if the answer is no, at least hear me out, at least listen to, you know, what I have to say, because believe it or not, I might have a decent suggestion, even if I'm not a manager because I'm in the weeds every single day and I'm gonna see it differently than you, the manager will see it. And then the better managers I've had are the people who've been, okay, let's talk about the different things that you're seeing in the options. And then I will color that with my expertise as someone who's been doing this longer. Exactly. So at least seven, possibly more <laughs> points uh, for, folks who are making that transition uh i i would think we will close on don't be afraid to ask for help and look yeah. for frameworks out there there are a number of great tools that you can use that are starting points that are like a cookbook right you're not going to cook every recipe in the cookbook well you, you maybe wants to try them all uh, but you don't need to to cook every single thing all the time find the ones that work for you uh what i would recommend is there's a, a great show called the manager tools podcast it's a, it's a good starting point it's not appropriate for every company it it you know the the folks who produce it came from a specific kind of management background but if it's a choice between i'm just going to wing it and hope or hey here's three or four frameworks that i can start with to have a place to start might not be the worst idea if you've got questions or comments about anything we've talked about in today's episode or you want to contribute your own tips for things that you've learned to from going from an individual contributor to being a manager or vice versa, pop on over to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 1,900 other folks uh, are talking about analytics and marketing and the questions that you have every day. And wherever it is that you're tuning into the show today, if there's a channel you prefer to get it on, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, and you will find uh, where the show is in all the, the other major channels. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Need help making your marketing platforms, processes, and people work smarter? Visit trustinsights.ai today and learn how we can help you deliver more impact.